Well, this is my last session with you. My wife and I need to get back to the bay. Um, and um, so let me take this opportunity to just thank, thank you for your hospitality and for your receptivity. The, the best thing you can do for speakers in settings like this is, of course, pray for them, but then to be open to receive because we, we sense when we have a receptive crowd and we also sense when we have folk who are like this. Um, and it makes teaching difficult when you know there's not receptivity. Uh, we, we still get it done because, you know, yeah. Paul said, be faithful. He told his spiritual son, be instant in season and out of season. Yeah. Meaning, you know, teach it when they're, yeah, praise God, give me some more. And teach it when they're like, he up there tripping. <laughs> <laughs> you still got to teach it regardless of how they're responding. Um, but you all clearly have been receptive. And uh, that's, that's to your credit. That means you're taught well, you've been discipled well. And, um, and you're positioning yourself for whatever God has during this time of changing lanes. Uh, because transition is just part of what God's doing in your church, in your individual lives, in ministries, in your families. Change is just part of God. God is a God who doesn't change, but who because uh, he's taking us from glory to glory, we have to change as he's leading and moving in our lives. And as I said, I think in the opening session last night, change comes very hard for church people. Church folk like uh, something that's predictable and all of that. And the seven last words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. Uh, that's a church is on its way out when they're worried about this is new. Um, new is part of what has to happen, especially when vision is, is the, the hallmark of a particular ministry. When you have a visionary uh, pastor and founder like you all have, visionaries are constantly listening to God and constantly evolving. Yeah. It's just what happens. So a visionary can't have a stagnant bunch of leaders. Because the visionary is still moving, and if, if the leader's like, we stand right here, then he no longer is really able to lead. And um, I know pastors who could only do what God told them to do when they left a church that refused to move. Wow. That just refused to move. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, he was a pastor of a church for 13 years when it had a fire, destroyed half of the building, um, and after they got the insurance settlement, and it was, a, it was a very nice property, they got a great settlement, um, and he said, I've been praying ever since the fire, because they had to wait on you know, going through all the, uh, the stuff before insurance came through with the money, and he had been praying, okay, Lord, what does this mean? Where, what, what's going on? But he said the Lord was, he said God had been giving me a vision. And, and the Lord said it's time for you to move to a different section of the city in his case. Uh, there's a different part of town where I'm going to base you and you'll be able to reach other people than this neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
he had a church business meeting. That was their custom. And um, he shared with them what the Lord was saying to him. Those people were married to that property. Uh, they had been there, many of them, long decade before he got there because he wasn't their first pastor. He was probably their second or third. And they had been there, and it was a very nice, historic kind of church. And he said, we need to, instead of using this, this insurance property, that money to rebuild that section of the church, that uh, was destroyed, we need to sell the whole thing and we need to go. And he had already identified a section of the city that had some properties that they could uh, buy to renovate and create. And he sold the vision of what God was showing him and all that. And he said, one trustee got up and said, we can't do that. Because the Lord said to me, we're supposed to stay here. And he said, when that trustee sat down, all of the hearts of the people, just like the 10 convinced the, the rest of Israel, we can't go. His one statement convinced the majority of those people that they needed to stay. He wasn't even in, in, in vocational ministries. Uh, he was a businessman who was a trustee, a board member. But he spoke with the authority of a leader. See, leaders aren't just people who have titles. Leadership is influence. If you influence people, you don't have to have a title. Um, you're, you're the leader. And he said to me, he said, I left that meeting walked next door to the church's parsonage where he and his family lived, sat down at my typewriter back then, and typed out my resignation. He said, because this is the first time I realized I've been here for 13 years, but I'm not the pastor. I'm the preacher. They let me preach here. That guy is their leader. And he's married to this, and their hearts are with him. Yeah. He said, so what the Lord said to me is still good. It's just that they can't go with me. Yeah. Yeah. He typed out his resignation, took it to the church, and he had to, uh, took a couple of months off just praying. And when he resurfaced, um, he wrote a letter to the people in his church and said, um, I've resigned this church because this church has decided to not move in the direction I believe God's leading me. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start a church. He named it in the, in the letter he wrote them. He named the, he said, we're gonna launch on such and that he had already, um, found a church that would let him launch in an afternoon service or a Saturday, I forget which it was, a certain weekend. And he said, if any of you want to go be part of that, 
you're welcome. If you want to stay where you are, I will bless you to stay. I'm not going to fight with this church. And he said 60, it was a church of, I think, three something, 300 and some people. He said 60 of them wrote him back and said, we'll be with you at your, at your new church. That church grew from 60 to within four or five years to 2,000 because he had a vision and 60 people said, that's the vision we believe in. And we let those other 200 and some stay right there. Guess what? I preached at the church that rebuilt that wing. I preached there in 2012. Uh, He launched in the 80s. In 2012, I preached there to 40 people. And they were all old, and every time they had a funeral, the number just dropped. There was no life. There was only preservation. And so when we, um, when we have visionary leadership, there are three things we have to do. I want to share with you, and then I will be open for Q&A, and then I'll turn it back over to them. Here's the number if you have the outline I've been carrying. What's the first principle, by the way? Desire. Desire. What's the second? Departure. What's the third? Direction. What's the fourth? The echo principle. These last four, including echo, are E's, not D's. Echo. Number five, the effort principle. The effort principle. I need a reader. Is, is this mic still on? Okay, I need a reader, Joshua 1, verses 12 through 15. And just do it at this mic so that they can capture it on the thing. Thank you so much. 12 to 15. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Thank you. Now, if you're not familiar with that story, what Joshua referenced for them, now, of course, this is when they're getting ready to move. And what he referenced for them was something that happened back when Moses was first getting the people from the wilderness to try to start moving toward the Canaan. And you recall that two and a half tribes east of the Jordan River said, this land is beautiful. Why should we cross Jordan to possess something over there when this is perfect for us? And Moses rebuked them, said, how dare you 
try to stay here where there's nothing to conquer. It's already, it's, you know, it's just turnkey land. Just set up life here while the others have to go fight for theirs. He rebuked them. And they said, no, 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 pastor. No, no, not pastor. No, Moses. We, we're not saying we don't want to fight. We're willing to go help you. We'll stay. All of our fighting people will go across. Just let us build some places for our wives and children to live here. We will, all the men will go over and fight. And we won't come back to our people till all of you have your land. Yeah. Effort. So, Mo, so now Joshua, Moses is dead. Joshua is now saying, y'all remember the agreement yeah. that our leader established that now that we're about to move into this, we are going to have the two and a half tribes, their men are going to go over and fight. Only the women and children will stay here. In other words, nobody gets to claim something that's easy. We're all going to do what we have to do until all of us have experienced what God has for us. And then everybody gets to enjoy life after that. It's what I call the effort principle. Some church folk love watching their leader work. Oh, and they'll pat you on the back, talk about what a strong man of God and woman of God y'all are. Oh, look at our leaders. They just, they're willing to do anything. That's not the issue. The issue, who is willing to come alongside them and fight, fight off their critics, fight off anything that wars against the church and the ministry. Leadership has to have people who are willing to fight. David, in the worst season of his life, because his enemy is the very man that he's done nothing but try to bless, Saul. And Saul's trying to kill him because Saul's jealous of him. In that worst season of his life, David found help in the form of a few hundred people who, when you see the way the Bible describes them, they were people in debt. They were people who were distraught. They really had nothing to, to live for that, that excited them. They ended up being David's mighty men. How do these people in the cave of Adullam who are in bad shape, like if you want to set up a, a group of folk to get something built, you don't want to build it with them. But they came to him. They met him in a cave. And somewhere in that season, they decided, you know what? We don't have much to offer but ourselves. But we're going to throw ourselves at being with this man of God because we believe that God is with him. And they gave themselves to him and became his mighty men. When you read some of the stories, it's downright inspiring. Yeah. 
Remember one time David was warring and, and against the enemy and he said, oh, if I just had a drink of water. Remember that? Yeah. And a few of them said, the man of God needs some water. They broke through enemy lines and went to the well and got him water and brought it back. Endangered going, endangered, never, maybe never making it back, but they made it back with the water. Yeah. Here, man of God, he was so touched, he wouldn't even drink it. He poured it out as an offering. He said, I can't take this. Look at what these people were willing to do. God, thank you for giving me folks who are this committed. Now, we who are practical say, Dude, drink the water. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would have said that. I would also said, after everything I went through to get that water for you, I told you I'm Chloramel. I'd have been like, if I, but he poured it out before I'd have got to him, clearly. I'm like, you're not pouring all this, you're going to drink some of this. I gave up my, I almost gave up my life. But it showed the level of commitment they had to this man of God. There's another time when David was getting old and kings lead their, in those days, led their armies to battle. They didn't sit home and wait to get the results. And his people came, these same people, and said, King you are not going to battle with us because they're gunning for you. Yeah. They want to put out the light of Israel. If we let you go and you're not up to it, if they extinguish the light of Israel, we won't have leadership. They said, we can't afford to let you go. We're making you stay home. We'll fight. And we'll get the victory because you blessed us to go. But you are not going. That's the kind of support and effort leadership needs to get where God wants to take them. We can't use, we who are visionary cannot use casual people sitting around looking at how gifted we are. We have to find people who will fight, who will claw who will go to sacrifice, go to great lengths. A few years ago, several years ago now, 2018, I believed I was supposed to help a church in Detroit. I told, uh, in one of the sessions, I told a little bit of story about a man who was believing for 120. He never even made it to 60, died in his 50s. Well, that man pastored a great church in Detroit. When he died, the church went into all kinds of chaos. And I loved him. He was, when he was at Stanford in business school at Stanford University, he was in my church. And I'm talking about when, I'm talking about the years when I had less than 100. That's when he came, he was in biz school. And he wasn't in ministry, he was a solid man of God. He wasn't in ministry, but he was so solid back then when I would need to leave town, I didn't have anybody, I had these, this handful of folk anyway, I'd leave him to preach. He said, I never preached at a church on a Sunday morning. I said, where are you going to now? Yeah. 
And he, later on, when he was a bishop, consecrated bishop known around the country, he would tell folk, Paul Shepard was, was crazy enough to put me in his pulpit when he didn't even know if I could preach or not. And um, fact of the matter is, he is the one who died in his 50s. And we had such a heart connection. I, was, I loved the church, and I thought I was so burdened about the chaos. Yeah. And when I talked about burden earlier, when I was giving you the A through G, that's one of those burdens I learned. I shouldn't have done what I did about it. It was a heavy burden. I couldn't shake it. My wife could tell you I was crying and, and just, I just, oh, my God, the church. Because I loved him and I loved those people. And I thought, you know, let me see if I can pastor both churches and pastor in in Michigan half the month and pastor in California half the month. And we'll show where I'm preaching. Whichever audience doesn't see me live, they'll see me on the screen. I did that for three months. And it finally dawned on me because in the three months there, I was constantly running up against something and it dawned on me these people don't want a visionary they want somebody who will do what has always been done I am nothing but a visionary I don't know how to be a maintenance guy I can't come in and do what y'all are used to I can only be a visionary and so I went to the elders there about two little over two months in and said, y'all need to find your pastor. I'm not him. Yeah. I'm going back home. So I'll give you a few weeks, figure this out. And I gave him a deadline. By this date, I'm going back home. I had leased an apartment there. My wife was going back and forth with me sometime. Sometimes she'd send me in, in prayer. <laughs> but sometimes she was coming. She's ride or die. We, we, we together. And she was just waiting for me to figure it out. She said, I, you know, later on, it was like, I didn't know whether that was God or not. But I knew, you know, you know how to hear from God. So God was going to straighten it out. And the Lord made it clear just by that, the thing I kept running up against. These people don't want a visionary. They want a maintenance pastor. And I said, here you are in Detroit. Y'all got a bunch of folk who dying to preach here. And they found somebody. And I went back home to California. Now, I told my church before I left, I said, we're, going, we're just going to pastor these two churches. I believe God's going to help us do it. And I ex- had explained it and all that, division and, and, and this and that and the other. By the time I got back three months later, I had lost a third of my church. And when I started trying to f- connect with people who had left, here was the bottom line. They were hurt that it looked like daddy wants another family. You know, people, when you are really a pastor, a pastor is like a parent. So you can have a great preacher who's not a pastor. He can tear it up on the pulpit, but he can't shepherd people. I'm a shepherd. And the people knew that. And it's like daddy wants to be somewhere else. They couldn't see that this is a vision. I think this might be God. I'm not leaving y'all. I'm just trying to add them to the family. And a third of them were gone when I got back. And I'd only been there three months. 
I wrote them, all, everybody who left a letter apologizing. I said, I thought I made it clear before I left that I'm simply trying to follow God and all that. Uh, I've, as it turns out, I realized my job was to pray for them. I should have never tried to go try to pastor them. I should have just prayed for them. I missed it, but I'm back. And by then, they were too hurt to come back. One of, one of the megachurch pastors in the Bay um, took me out to lunch. He knew that church, too. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, Hi, well, how do you feel? I said, I'm pretty hurt um, that these folks, I thought they saw my heart and, and all that I do for them. And then I gave all my word. He said, don't be mad at hurting people. He said, they're hurting. Why get mad at folks who are just hurt? If they are too hurt to reconnect with you, bless them as they stay where they are. Because God's not finished with you. Even with this miscalculation, God's not finished with you. You just have less folk to do it with now. And so I learned then, and we all have to learn, that we don't all get it right. But you got to have the people around you. And I'm saying that to say the elders of my church here, they supported me when I left and they supported me when I came back. In fact, when I came back, they said, now we've we've added some things to your package to ensure your comfort. And they they knew I hadn't hadn't left over anything monetary. But they said, we want to take the best possible care of our man of God. And you got to find the people, even if you're not in ministry, you who are entrepreneurs or you who are whatever it is you're doing, you got to find the people in your inner circle who are willing to stand and fight with you for your success. They'll fight in prayer. They'll fight in encouragement. They will do whatever they have to do to keep you alive. You got if you are a David who's on the run on the run from Saul, you got to find your Jonathan. Do you know that Saul's own son, Jonathan, was David's best friend? And here my daddy trying to kill my best friend. And what did Jonathan do instead of being loyal? Because, you know, pop going to be dead and I'll be the next king. He's going to die soon, so let me stay here and stay in his good graces. He didn't think like that. He said, let me go find my friend. He's running. He's, on, he's a fugitive. And he found him. And the Bible says when he found him, he strengthened his hands in the Lord. You got to find those people who are willing to strengthen your hands wherever you are. You don't need fair weather friends. Because none of us live in all fair weather. I can't use a fair weather friend. When the weather's fair, I don't need you. I can enjoy life. But when it's stormy, who's going to come help me then? That's who you need. A friend, Proverbs said, loves how often? At all times. And And a brother is born for adversity. When you are in the thick of it, those are your friends and brothers who show up. 
how you doing really? If you don't have those kind of people, you need to build your inner circle. You need people who will say, how you doing really? And don't BS me. Don't give me no blessed and highly favored. I ain't trying to hear that. Give me the real deal. In the worst season of my life, when I had failed miserably and publicly, it was spreading all over. I went to, well, I didn't want to go, but one of my covenant brothers said, I want you to come to a meeting, a revival. I mean, I said, man, I don't, I don't want to face anybody. I had resigned my church. I didn't want to go out of my house. He said, I need you to come to this meeting. And because of the relationship, he talked me into it. So I'm sending you a ticket. You come into this meeting. Flew me over there, D.C. area. And I went to the revival. The third night of the revival, we had a dinner. um, And the the speaker of the third night was Bishop T.D. Jakes. And he was coming to the dinner. And I didn't know it, but my covenant brother had set me up. He had told Bishop my story. And he said, so if the Lord tells you to talk to Paul, he'll be, I'll have him at the, at the I'm there thinking, I'm, I'm at this revival I don't want to be at. Yeah. But I go, and then I go to this dinner afterwards. So in the middle of dinner, toward the end of dinner, uh, Bishop excused himself from the table. We had been all having good, they had had good conversation. I was just sitting there enjoying the food. There was a few things I could enjoy then. And um, he said, excuse me, just like y'all going in fellowship. Paul, come here. And he took me to a room, sat down. He looked at me and said, how angry are you? I said, I'm pretty PO'd, but I'm making it. He said, well, we're going to have to deal with that because you're about to go into a season of restoration that's going to be painful and difficult. But you got to be available to God so that he can do everything in you that he wants to do. And he said, and your anger would stand in his way. You're going to have to get rid of that anger. And he went on and told me a bunch of other things and just ministered to me. And he ended up saying, oh, it's not going to be fun. But on the other side, you're going to have a ministry to people who always admired you before, but now they're going to need you because you're going to have something that you only got out of your pain. And my wife and I are living today realizing what Bishop said that night to me. At the meeting I didn't want to go to, it's absolutely true. We minister to folks now all over the country that we don't even know. Sometime one of our phones will ring because some covenant brother said, you know, that they said to him, I wish I could talk to Paul Shepard. He's the only person I know I would want to talk to about what I'm going through. And if they trust who they told and and they're my covenant brothers, they'll give them my number. Because when I look and say, so who gave this person my number? <laughs> then I think it's one of them. Because they're looking out for me. They said, we're not going to bring just anybody to you, but anybody who needs you, we're going to send them to you. Yeah. 
because you're Peter. Remember what Peter, what Jesus said to Peter? After you're converted, you're going to have to strengthen your brothers. And so I know what that is to have the right people around you who are willing to fight and claw. They will not let you fail for anything in the world. You are going to succeed. Jonathan said to David, you are going to be king. I don't care what my daddy's saying about he's going to kill you. God has ordained that you're going to be the king. And he, Jonathan, who by all rights politically should have been the heir to Saul, he said, I'm going to be next in line to you. I'm going, I'm going to serve you. I could fight for that position, but I fear God too much. Yeah. And you're my boy. God's hand is on you. And he strengthened him. Mm. You got to find the folk who will strengthen you. Mm, yes. Now, go to six. Here's six. The esteem principle. The esteem principle. There's a level of respect, honor, and obedience that Joshua received from the people that helped catapult him into leadership. I need somebody to read verses 16 and 17. Come and do that for us, please. Joshua 1, 16 and 17, as we look at this esteem principle. One sixteen and 17. Yes, sir. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Thank you. Unlike Moses, who couldn't even get across the Red Sea good without folk complaining. You brought us over here to starve us to death. No food over here. You, you brought us over here to, to, to make us dehydrated. There's no water over here. Joshua had just the opposite. You just saw it. They said, everything you say, we're going to do it. You speak it, we're going to make it happen. Because yeah. you are God's man. You have the anointing that will get us to and through the promised land. Yeah. And we are going to esteem you mm. as the man of God that you are. Mm. Now, here's the problem with us Americans. Mm -hmm. We don't like people who are big shots when we're not. We want to think, I got a say in it too. Fact of the matter is, there's no president in the Bible. There's no democracy in the Bible. In God's economy, I'm talking about. There's no democracy. God never said, here's what I want to do, what y'all all think about it. That's not, that's not the God we serve. He raises up leadership even in the New Testament where it says, and he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Five-fold ministry, we call it. 
He gives them all a calling and an anointing to go with the calling. And you can't be one of them unless God made you one. What you can do is support and honor and pray for them. Because they are like the ministers to the team and the team does the work of the ministry. It's very much like sports. The coach can't play the game on the field. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to teach you how to play it. Give you the plays to run. And so we've got to understand who to esteem and why. In the kingdom of God, when you see God's hand on a leader, you're supposed to support and esteem them. Not only give it effort, but give them esteem. Hold them in high regard. Now, let me, let me tell you, that's a, biblical, that's a biblical concept. The Bible says we are to do that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 tells you that we are to give honor Hold them in high regard who rule over us. Now, we don't even like Paul's language. Rule? Nobody ruling over me. I'm my own person. Y'all start snapping. Well, the apostle Paul said, no. God called some folks to rule over you because they watch for your soul, he said in Hebrews 13. Not Paul, but the, but the writer to the Hebrews said, they watch for your soul. You got to obey them because they, what, they have to answer to God for you. I tell my church on a somewhat regular basis, a whole lot of y'all come and say, oh, I love going to Destiny. I said, no, no, if you call yourself, if I'm your pastor, I need you to be on the record. Fill out this thing. Let me know you're a member of this church. I got all kind of folk come, oh, people all around the country. Oh, that's my pastor. Your, your name's not on our roster. <laughs> I, look, I don't play games. If I have to answer for the souls of the people I shepherd, I need to know who you are. I'm not going to have these, you know, sheep in the shadows. No, no. If I'm watching for your soul, I need your name, address, phone number, who your kids are, all that. And the fact of the matter is, we got to answer the guy. If I, if I understand my Bible right, I'm not going to just get to skip through the gates on that day. I'm going to have to give an account. How well did you shepherd my people? And if I got to give an account for these people, oh, yeah, I'm going to know who you are. I don't have people. You can't sing in my, on my praise team. I had somebody recently found out they were singing on my praise team because my, my you know, minister of music got excited about them because they were coming and, and, and wanted to help. But the minister didn't, didn't understand, but they weren't actually members. They were just coming. And so I had my, my assistant look him up and say, no, I'm not a member. I said, well, call her and tell her if you want to sing, the next time she schedules you, you're going to have to let us know I'm here in this church. And she said, oh, I didn't realize that. I said, okay, well, realize it now. <laughs> you know why? Because if you're not a member of the church, I can't really rebuke you. You're not under my, my jurisdiction. I need to be able to sit you down. I need to be able to discipline you. I need to be able to say, this is not right. I can't do that if you're just somebody who just comes and goes. And so 
you got to understand esteem is important. God cares. You know, we love keeping the ground even, but that's not the way God thinks. Um, Paul said to Timothy, elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. He said, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Meaning the senior or leading or teaching elder of a church, especially if it is the visionary of the house, they deserve double honor. You can't put them on par with me. Well, he put on his pants just like I put on my pants. No, I'm the pastor putting mine on. It's different. Not that I'm stuck up. I'm not. Any man of God worth his salt is humble because he knows he's nothing but a a vessel. That, you know, the excellency isn't of us. It's of God. You don't have to worry about people. Sometimes my members see me, you know, and I'm in one of these high situations. Everybody's calling my name and all that. Well, I was doing one of those meetings and some of my members were there and they said, we didn't know pastor was famous. Because <laughs> <laughs> at, at church, I'm pastor. They see me out there. Oh, oh, that's him. I wonder if I can get close. I wonder if I can get it. And they, and they like, we, we ain't even know that. Well, you're not supposed to know that. I'm a, I'm a parent. Pastor is a parent. Yeah. Who's impressed with their parents? <laughs> yeah. Nobody that I know. They'd be like, that's dad. What y'all making all that fuss about? That's just dad. Hey, dad, why don't you bring me some Chinese food when you come home? <laughs> you're nobody special. Yet, the Bible says, but you better hold him in esteem. Because this is somebody whose hand God has elevated. Now, this last one's going to get you. Then I'm going to just turn over any Q&A and then we're done. This last one's going to really get you. I need somebody to read verse 18. Because the seventh thing is the exclusion principle. The exclusion principle. E-X-C-L-U-S-I-O-N, the exclusion principle. Somebody read verse 18 for us. Joshua 1, just that single verse, verse 18. Somebody better move. Last one, this is your last job. Thank you so much. Verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Did you see what those people said? Joshua, not only are we esteeming you as the man of God you are, but if anybody rebels against what you say in this company, in this nation, if we see rebellion, we're going to stamp it out by killing them. <laughs> Y'all better be glad we live under the New Testament dispensation. That's all I got to say. Be so glad you on the other side of Malachi. Because pre-Matthew, they would take some of y'all out. You see how serious they were? They weren't joking. They said, Joshua, 
You're leading us where we've never gone. We got all kind of foes to fight. We got all kind of battles we got to uh, um, wage over there. We cannot afford to do anything but let you be the man God has anointed you to be. We're going to support you. We're going to follow you. We're going to honor you. And if we find rebellion, we will stamp it out. We're going to kill them. Straight up. Because in that, in that dispensation, the only way to get rid of sin was to kill the sinner. Wow. Remember what happened with Achan? Yeah. Remember Achan? Yeah. He stole some stuff when they weren't supposed to take anything from, from a Jericho. Remember that? Yeah. God said, the whole city is devoted to me, meaning destroy it all. He didn't, want the, he didn't want them, y'all can't go in there and, and grab the goods. He said, you got to give that city to me in worship and honor, and you got to destroy everything. Men, women, children, livestock, kill it all. And Achan said, you see this good stuff over here? And kept some stuff and hid it. And when they lost the next battle, Joshua tore his robe, said, God, you promised me nobody would stand before us. God said, get up. I didn't go back on my word. Somebody didn't do what I said. Yeah. And Joshua said, well, we got to find who that is because they're messing with all of our blessings. Yeah. When you have re rebellion in a ministry or in a home or in a business, whatever God has you doing, you got to stamp it out. You can't afford rebellion. Wow. It's too costly. And you know what they did? They went tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, till they got down to Achan. <laughs> and because of Achan's sin, everything associated with Achan had to die. Wow. They had to kill Achan. Aiken's wife, Aiken Jr., the boy, he not in there, I just made him up. <laughs> Daughter, Aikenette. <laughs> you better be glad you're in the New Testament, that's all I'm telling you. They had to wipe out the whole family. And after that happened, God's hand was back. In business, and they won after that. You can't put up with rebellious people in your inner circle. When people have that spirit of rebellion, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm grown. I'm a grown blank man. When you have that spirit, it will destroy what God is doing because God takes offense to it. So they said, don't worry about it, Joshua. If we see rebellion, we'll deal with it. You'll never, you'll, in some cases, you'll never even know it because wow. we saw the rebellion and we stamped it out. It never even got to you. Wow. I got elders who are like that now. They said, nope, y'all ain't going to mess with my pastor and get away with it. Because we believe in God for the supernatural like never before. Mm. 
and we're not going to let you and your rebellion mess it up. Uh, one of my covenant brothers, he loves preaching. He pastors First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, Maryland, Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. And he said, you come in, and he, he says it jokingly, but I've been there. I preach there every year. It's true. He said, you come to First Baptist and say something off the wall about Pastor Jenkins? He said, I got senior citizens who will take you out back and beat you with their canes. <laughs> said they will beat you with their canes. <laughs> like, you're not going to mess with my pastor and get away with it. Because he has God's word for us in his mouth. And you're not going to mess with what God is doing around here. And you got you to gotta practice exclusion principle in your life. Some of y'all got some people you need to say goodbye to. At least not, not necessarily permanently, but at least get them way outside of the sphere of influence. Every now and then you have to demote someone. You can't go with me where God's taking me now. Love you, but you can't go. Can't be close. Because what's on you is not something that'll get me where God's taking me. And the exclusion principle, sometimes we have to, some of y'all need the gift of goodbye. Wow. I got it. I got it. I had to learn it. Yeah. When I left Abundant Life, so many people I thought would be with me to the end, they were gone in a flash. Because mm. I was no longer riding up there. Mm. And they, as it turned out, were excited about up there and not who I was. And over these 14 years of how God has brought me out and brought me through and, and is doing a whole new set of things in my life and ministry, I have developed the gift of goodbye. I tell my church, if you need that gift and you don't have it, you don't even, I got so much of it on me, you don't even have to talk to me. Just walk by me. Let my, my shadow fall on you. <laughs> My shadow fall on you. You will be able to get rid of them jokers in your inner circle that you don't need anymore. Because some folk, they're just not ready for prime time in this season of your life. And you got to exclude them. You're excluded. You are, we have some folk who leave our, our ministry now, and we have learned all that means is they're no longer under our charge. You're no longer my responsibility. Go where you're going. Do what you want to do. If you, and some of them leave with an attitude, as if we're going to be hurting because they're gone. And I tell them, look, about, what was that, about eight years ago or so when, when um, no, it would have been more like 15 years ago, whenever, when Beyonce came out with that song, um, To the Left, To the Left, Sometimes I go back to those. I say, you, you, I said, like Beyonce, you must not know about me. I can have another you in a minute. <laughs> Matter of fact, he'll be here in a minute. To the left, everything you own in the box, to the left. Because <laughs> she wrote a song, just said some guy who, you know, thought he was irreplaceable in her life, like, dude, you don't understand. 
I'm moving on. You the one got to leave. I've learned that about people. Nobody's irreplaceable but the Holy Spirit. If somebody is tired of you and you see it before they leave, you see the attitude change. You ever seen folk leave and their attitude gives them away first because they're still there physically, but something changes and they're not feeling you like they used to. As soon as I see that, I go to them and say, hey, so, so where are you going to be worshiping? I want to know so I can bless you as you go. Pastor, oh, no, I'm not going where. Yes, you are. I can see it. It's on you. So don't play games. It's, your heart is somewhere else. Take your body where your heart is. I've had to tell people that. You need to go. And uh, sometimes leaders. That's why I uh, talk about that echo principle. One of my, uh, Bishop uh, Ulmer, the same one that I told you, got that property supernaturally by waiting another three years in the, in, in the uh, high school. He had one of his ministers who, instead of being an echo, became more and more of a voice and was saying things different than Bishop was saying. He said, I called him in my office one day, said, hey, man, just want to know where you're going to start your church. And he said, Bishop, I'm not, I'm not starting a church. I love Faithful Central. He said, no, no. I didn't ask you where you're starting the church. I asked you, where are you starting the church? Bishop, I'm not. He said, listen, there can only be one voice in the house. God says what's to happen in that ministry. One voice. And I need all the ministers around me to echo what God said to me. You have a voice. Every time I turn around, I'm hearing something you said that I didn't say. Wow. That tells me, he said, he said, it doesn't mean you're, you're, you know, not a man of God. It just means this isn't your house anymore. So where are you going to go? And he said, you're going to start that church because you're getting out of here. He said, now, if you let me, I'll help you plant it. And eventually the man realized he was right. And he said, all right, Bishop, let me pray about it. Came back to him a few months later. I, I, I do believe the Lord wants me to start in such and such a part of Southern California. Bishop got up the next Sunday and said, Minister so-and-so, God is leading him to start a church down in, and named the, named the, the, the area. And the people applauded. Because he's a well-known minister in, in their midst. And he said, and I am going to release 25 to 50 of you to go help him plant that church. Who wants to do that? Pray about it, and in two weeks, I'm going to lay hands on all of y'all who say you're going to help him start it. Two weeks later, about, I forget the number, but it was right in there, 25 to 50 range, came up to the, he said, come on up with your new pastor. He laid hands on all of them, blessed them, and sent them out. Because they, he was not going to let rebellion grow in their midst. So sometimes we have to exclude people. Well, those are the things I have to share. Let me just see if there's some Q&A, some things you want to say about anything I've said to last night, this morning, or this afternoon. Any questions I can answer or any comments you want to give. After that, we're done. Now, I'll have to repeat, unless you come to this mic, I'll have to repeat any questions so that I can, they can hear the question on the recording. Any questions or comments by anything I've shared?
So we need to end this in about like five minutes max. So let's get like maybe one to two questions. And I need you to move expeditiously and come right up here to me. You can ask your question. He'll answer it and then we'll close. Any questions? 100% clarity, Bishop. You did it. The Holy well, Spirit did that it. clear. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Been a joy to be with you. And um, I'll be praying that God will just take this church on to the next level of whatever he has ordained for you. And I know your leadership is sensitive to God, so I know it's going to be good. Whatever it is, it's going to be good. Praise God for that.